Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. My father was a very intense man. <laughs> People always laugh when I say that. Seriously, he was, uh, he was very serious. And uh, growing up, uh, he, was, he was stern. He was, uh, he was all about work. And, um, and he, that's the main lesson he taught us, was how to work. And, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, intense in the sense of, uh, I can never remember a single time where he laid his hands on me. Um, uh, he never raised his voice. He lowered his voice. Uh, but growing up as a child, I was terrified of him. Right? Just because he was intense, he was actually smaller than me, but he was all muscle, and very, very, uh, very vigorous. And so, you know, having a dad like that, it, it shapes you. And um, someone who, who's like that, whenever he's around, he's intense, he's not very lighthearted about anything. If there is something he's lighthearted about, or, it, you really remember it. And so one of the very few things that my dad was kind of lighthearted about is that he really loved the Roadrunner cartoon. I mean, he loved that cartoon. And uh, growing up, if, if he was walking through the room and you were in his way, he would do what the Roadrunner would do. Beep, beep. He'd get out of his way. All right. But that wasn't scary because that meant Dad was in a good mood. <laughs> you know? And so I grew up as a, as a boy saying, well, you know, that's how men ask people to get out of their way. <laughs> I'm like in my 30s or 40s still doing that. I'm walking through a store, beep, beep. <laughs> and uh, gradually people informed me that, you know, a lot of people would consider that rude. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean, rude? That, that's my way of being nice. And so now I've learned to say, excuse me. <laughs> Pardon me. All right. Beep, beep. Everybody say beep, beep. beep, beep. Okay. We're going to get back to the beep, beeps in a few minutes. But that was a story to introduce the idea. We're talking about joy. And today I'm talking about joy substitutes or pseudo joy. Uh, the big idea for this whole month is that joy is relational. It's not just happiness. You can be happy about getting a new toy, a new car, a new tractor, or whatever. Um, but that's not joy. Joy comes through relationship. And the Bible says that in your presence, God's presence, is the fullness of joy. All right? That's not knowing about God. That's being with Him. Being in His room. And the closer you are to, the, to God in His presence the closer you are to the center of the fullest expression of joy that there is anywhere. And if you're distanced from God, as many people live their whole life, where God's way far away, or unfortunate people that don't even know who God is, they have not entered into a relationship with God, they're just disconnected completely from not just God, but joy. Because the Bible says the fullness of joy is in his presence. 
And the further you are away from his presence, the further you are away from the fullness of this biblical joy, this, this relational joy. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus' teaching, his words were the, the reason he did it was to inject his followers with his joy. Okay, this is, this is really significant. It was like imparting some uh, so joy that was Jesus's into you and I. And we get that by hearing him and listening to his word. And that, receiving Jesus' joy, then enables our joy to respond. And that's where joy is relational. It's really, really important to understand. And and, and if that's true um, for our relationship with God, it's true about our relationships with one another. And so joy comes when we're in relationship with others. And the closer we are, intimate relationships with others, that enables us to have joy. And and we're built to be like God in God's image and to be imparters of joy and receivers of joy. So, but uh, moving on from that basic premise is that joy shapes our identity and gives us emotional strength. It really does. Our Our experience of joy, especially as we're growing up, shapes who we see ourselves as, our identity. And who you see yourself as determines how you respond to everything in life, how you respond to others, and also how you see others and how you interpret their behavior. And it determines how strong you are emotional. When we grow up or live in a low-joy environment, it causes the chemistry, structure, an organization of the brain to be malformed. I'm not making this up. These are these, uh, actually the guy who wrote the book that we're borrowing much of this uh, information from. His name is Dr. Wilder. Uh, the book is called Joy Starts Here. Uh, he's got several doctorate degrees as well as theological degrees, and he works with a team of psychologists and MDs, and they've been studying neuroscience as well as psychology as well as theology and kind of seeing how they work together. And this is just, this is true. They've studied the way the brain grows and the way it's formed. And if you grow up in a a stress-filled, low-joy environment, it causes the chemistry of your brain to change and the structure, how it's actually organized. The different sizes of the different parts of your brain are different if you grow up in a happy, wholesome, safe place versus if you grow up in a low-joy, stressful place. uh, difficult uh, uh, childhood. And then also the organization, how different parts of the brain communicate to each other uh, is super important determining how we respond. So it actually causes physiological changes as well as emotional changes to our brain. Um, now the deal is, if, um, if someone has a deformed arm, right, it's, it's pretty easy to see, right? Or, you know, uh, a friend who uh, had polio when he was a child. Uh, thankfully, that's nearly, uh, uh, it's no longer seen because of the uh, vaccines that prevent it. Um, and, but he was before the vaccines were out, and so he got polio. 
And John, my good friend, I've known him for many years, uh, you know, he's got a, he walks with crutches and his legs are deformed and, and he can't hide it. <clears throat> but if someone's brain is deformed, what are the symptoms? How do you know it? So what if Mark's brain is deformed? <laughs> A little easier to see Mark's than mine. Whoa. <laughs> just, Inappropriate. Because his is so large. His, oh, his brain right. is That's... so intense. So. All right, so the malformed brain uh, caused the symptoms are living in false identity and seeking out substitutes for genuine joy. Okay? So if good, genuine joy uh, forms a healthy brain, the lack of that forms a an unhealthy, mis- malformed brain, then we want to, we live with a false identity and we're looking for the joy that we hadn't found. And so those are the symptoms, that's the crippledness that we have. And we all have it to some degree because you know what, we live in a fallen world. And we don't have the fullness of joy because we all are born separated from God and our, our, our need to come back in relationship with Him. So joy substitutes are things we use to satisfy our need for joy when we lack uh, genuine joy relationships. And knowing and living out of our true identity enables us to resist joy substitutes. Okay? We need to have strength to resist. How do you get that strength? Is knowing you, who you really are. And, and having a strong relationship with God and strong relationship with, with others. It gives us the emotional strength to endure hardship and find genuine joy. And without that emotional strength, when something comes into your life that's difficult, you will revert to uh, the substitutes uh, rather than pushing through because you don't have the strength to push through. And so Colossians speaks to this. Uh, uh, the Bible's uh, speaking to a church, not unlike this, uh, but a couple thousand years ago, a group of people uh, living in a small town, Colossae. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow. This is true about you and I. This is is not about your life in heaven. Okay? Your new life means that your old life is gone. Were, Were the people that... That uh, the Bible, the Paul, when he wrote this, the letter to the Colossians, were they alive at that time? Huh? Yeah, they were alive, right? They weren't dead. And they're dead now. And, and so this is not talking about what they would experience after they die and get to heaven. This is talking about your experience now. And it's written to the church. Are you to the church? How many of you are Christian? Christ followers, right? We're the church. So this is written to you. So this means this is something you're to experience now. You are to have new life now because our old life is dead. And it says that we share the place of, the, uh, of honor at God's right hand, right? Jesus is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Where is joy the most full? In Christ, in the presence is Jesus in God's presence? Yeah. Plus, he's God. All right. And the Bible says in Ephesians that we are seated with Christ 
in heavenly places. <gasps> so the truth about your identity is that you're there. You're in, in a very real way, the place where joy is fullest. But because we don't know our identity, we forget that and we get confused with the things of this world and we hide in, in substitute joy, we don't experience the fullness of joy that Jesus died on the cross to obtain for us. How do you get this? You accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. All right? That you believe that he is who he said he was. That he is God the Son. And that when he went to the cross, he took the penalty of your sin. And your sin. So that you no longer have to sin if you believe in him. And if you believe that and you confess it with your mouth, you are translated into that new life and you are seated with Christ in the place of, the, of fullest joy. And then Paul continues the same idea, writing to another church in Galatia, speaking about himself. He says, my old self, my old life, has been crucified with Christ. I don't even live any longer. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love this verse. One of my favorite verses. This and it says a similar thing in Colossians. Christ lives in me. And Colossians says that uh, my life is hidden with Christ in God. Because my old life is, is dead. Now if Christ is in me, and he's seated in the heavenly places with God. Where is joy? Where is joy? Where is his presence, according to this verse? Go into the mirror, open up your mouth. Uh. Okay, how does this work? <clears throat> I have no idea. How can God be in the heavenly place, seated at the right hand of God, and in me? Okay, the physics on this, you know, I read an article, I saw an article just a couple of days ago where they're like, we think we have the whole idea of gravity wrong. What, <laughs> gravity? <laughs> like scientists still haven't figured out how gravity works. All right. Which is kind of funny, because they think they know everything. <laughs> and it's a pretty basic law of nature. Aren't you glad for gravity? Thank God for gravity. If it wasn't for gravity, we would all be floating. <laughs> all right. So how does this work? God's, Jesus is at the right hand of God, but the Bible says, see, I don't understand this, but I believe it. I believe it because it's in God's Word. Okay. I believe it because Jesus said, I speak these things so that my joy would be in you. How can that happen? I don't know. But I believe it, and it's true. And so where is joy? Joy is in me. But it's in me because Christ is in me. That's my identity. It's, this is very important to understand because our old identity uh, will be used by the enemy, and we have an enemy in the world. That's the world system, everything that influences. We're so influenced by the way the world thinks based on advertising and media and talk shows and all of that stuff is they spend billions of dollars to communicate a message. 
And often you don't even realize you're listening to a message because you just think you're watching a TV show or listening to something, but there's a message, there's a message, the whole world has a message, and they want to turn you back to that old identity. People treat you according to your old life because they don't, they don't know that you've, you're a new creation. And our own flesh draws us back into our former way of living. And so that old identity, our flesh, will seek out joy substitutes because they're easier and cheaper than genuine relationships. And you know why? Why why would joy substitutes be easier and cheaper than real joy? Where do we get real joy? Hmm? Relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. So, joy substitutes, say there's a substitute that's easier to get. Why would it be easier? You don't have to deal with other people. You know what the problem with people is? They're problems. (laughs) They're not perfect. And when you get close to someone, the closer you get to someone, the more you know their problems. They're not perfect. But it's in intimate relationship with imperfect people that we find joy. You know what's even worse than the fact that other people have problems? I got problems. (laughs) And so when I get close intimate relationship with others, my problems pop out. And the hardest relationship there is marriage. And people that have marriage difficulties, I'm like, they're like, it's not working. I'm like, no, it's working perfectly, man. God designed marriage to force you into a relationship so that your stuff is revealed and their stuff is revealed and you learn how to work through the stuff so that you can find genuine joy. But people encounter the stuff and they want to run. Because it's not fun. But that's the point of marriage. Is that, you know, in any other relationship, if someone bugs me, I just avoid them. And I can still be nice to them. But with my spouse, I gotta go home. Every day. 35 years. I'm like, how much longer do I have to live? <laughs> she understands. <laughs> but we press through because there's something called joy that makes it worth it. And you got to believe that it's worth it. Beep, beep! Here's the beeps. So this acronym, I did not come up with it. This guy with two or three doctorate degrees came up with it. He's really smart. And he sums up the joy substitutes with the main thing I want to get to in this acronym, beep, 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 beep. And just like my dad used it to keep people away from him, we use these things, joy substitutes, to avoid intimate relationships. And their behaviors, that's the B, events, experiences, people, and substances. Now, all of them in and of themselves are gifts if they're used properly. Okay, But if they're misused, they become uh, destructive in ways to avoid the need to press into intimate relationships. Emotions, listen, is a very big 
is really so, so important. This is worthy of a sermon all by itself. But emotions like anger. How many have ever been angry? Yep. <clears throat> this morning. <laughs> fear. We all encounter fear. Times of sadness. Absolutely. Uh, disappointment. Come on. Shame. Disgust. Yeah, there's been times where I've been disgusted with myself, disgusted with others. Hopelessness. Yeah. Despair. Yes, absolutely. All of these and other negative emotions must, must be processed relationally. We, we have to get through them in relationship uh, so that we can return to joy. Right, so we can return to the place where we can experience the joy that Jesus promised us. But the inherent response to these, remote, uh, these emotions are not to press into relationship. The, the inherent response is to avoid relationship. If you're afraid, you hide. If you're angry, it's actually pushing people away. All of these, just the default response is to, to isolate because these people are making you angrier. They're making, you've been disappointed by other people, and so you're going to hide behind walls. Uh, and, and that is destructive because it doesn't enable you to get back to joy. And so we need to understand we have to process these type of relationships through joy. And if we lack joy relationships or the ability to, to, to in a skill, to find joy in relationships, um, to work out these emotions, it causes us to seek relief through inappropriate use of the beeps. Okay? And it's just like if you have physical pain. A tremendous lesson I learned about 15 years ago. Um, it was actually... I was going through a very difficult time, and I sought out counsel, and it was a, a psychologist, actually, that I was meeting with, and he said, do you know that to the brain, emotional pain is perceived in the exact same way as physical brain? Okay? The exact same way. The same stuff happens in here, right? Because if my, my, if my hand, if I hit my hand with a hatchet, <laughs> or a... Slam my hand in the door, right? Where do you, where do you, how do you know you're it hurt? In your brain, right? But the brain hasn't been affected. It's the hand, right? But if I get hurt by disappointment or anger or, or somebody offends me or, or, or betrays me, the brain has the same experience, all right? And so emotional pain is just as, Intense and, and, and in some ways more destructive, because if I slam my door in the hand, my hand in the door, I like I can know what happened. But if I experience emotional pain, sometimes I don't even know why. Okay, so we seek relief through the beeps, but it's not genuine relief. It's not healing. It's 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 like using painkiller. It's getting hooked on morphine. All right, so the danger comes when we use beeps to become more important, when the beeps, the substitutes, become more important than the relationships. Uh, while they temporarily stop the craving 
for genuine joy, they can never, never bring us to the place where we experience joy. It's we're living in, in, in lack. And so we're just going to go through these quickly. Behavior is any behavior used to conceal those weaknesses or those negative emotions. And it can include both positive and negative behavior. So negative behaviors would be like outbursts of wrath. How, can, how many times I got to tell you this? You know, when you shout slam the door or throw things um, or shut down you know what you're doing? you're saying stay away from me isolation where do you find joy? intimate relationship so you're actually pushing away the very thing that you are angry about which is you don't have joy uh, outbursts of anger, actually fighting, even stuff like stealing, doing inappropriate behavior. It's, it's a cry uh, almost in every situation. For It's a way to satisfy your need uh, for joy. And so it's self-harm. This is really a big deal in our uh, time, especially young people cut themselves. Cutting, I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, and, and so they... They, uh, they do that because they don't know how to deal with the emotional pain they're dealing with, and so they actually injure themselves to distract their brain from the intense emotional pain. And it's so sad because it just causes more pain. Uh, vandalism, stealing, all this stuff, intimidating, becoming the big, strong guy that gets in other people's face. That's just a, that's, that's cover. That's faking it. That's hiding your weakness by pretending to be strong. Uh, and those are, those are negative behaviors. But then positive behaviors, things like being a workaholic. My dad was that. He was always, he only knew work. All right? Or being a perfectionist. You know, and these are, these are perceived as better behaviors, but they have the same negative effect of preventing you from experiencing genuine joy, being a people pleaser. You're so nice... All right, that you're not real. You hide behind niceness. But inside, you're all messed up. You're angry, you're afraid. But you come across, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm so nice. Everybody likes me. I'm like, who is that person? I don't know. Uh, fitness addicts, even religiousness can be a, 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 a wall that you hide behind. Next one is events. Um, substituting things like conferences or work-related activities. And probably the biggest one in our culture is sports activities, man. And there's nothing wrong with sporting activities. It's good to play games. It's good to go watch games. It's good to spend even with some time on television watching a game. <laughs> Not inappropriate amount of time. But people get, like, addicted. Listen, I have friends that can tell me the players of their team, not only their names, but the stats of, of, of their team, and not only the guys who are on the team now, but like the guys who were on that team 20 years ago. And like, oh, remember, yeah, they were this, this year and that year, and I don't know how they keep all the information in their brain. Uh, anybody know about that, those kind of people? Oh, come on. Some of you are those kind of people, I know. All right. But you don't know the names of your kids' friends. Or your kids. 
All right, so I'm like, wait a minute. You can know all the information, but you don't know something as important as, you know, how your kid's doing in school. What's your kid's teacher's name? What's your kid's favorite sport, you know? Uh, so see how you can hide. It's a good thing that you can hide behind. Uh, experiences. This is another thing. Experiences are great. God put us in this amazing planet where we can experience so many wonderful things. But if we use those experiences to avoid deep relationship with him and with others, it actually becomes something we hide behind. So adventures, extreme sports, I love to travel, but I can't uh, neglect my family just because I, I get to go somewhere and, and minister in a different country. And so uh, concerts uh, or even worship events. And worship is great. Didn't Jamie do an amazing job this morning? I was so anointed, I was crying. Tears came into my eyes. Uh, when I, just, I could just sit there in God's presence. And it was happy. He was happy. You know? Why? Because I was in his presence. Why did I feel that? Because I felt his presence. All right. But sometimes people uh, will just, like, they, they have to go to this big event where there's lots of lights and a big show in order to experience God. And they become addicted to the event or the experience of being in a room with loud music and lights and, uh, instead of the reality of just being with Jesus, which you can do by yourself. All, right? and all of this is just a way of escapism. Now, there's one particular experience that requires, uh, warrants a little extra attention. <clears throat> Can I talk about this in church? I'm going to, because you know why? I'm the pastor. <laughs> Sex is a wonderful experience. It's really pretty good. You know? <laughs> it's powerful, and God actually designed it to relieve stress. Like the the, the chemicals and the hormones and everything, it's just like, boom, happy, happy. And it actually is a pain reliever. Uh, it, causes, it can be a source of intense joy. And it's because you're experiencing physical pleasure, uh, especially in relationship with someone you love. It releases active sex, the whole encounter, touching someone you love, as well as the, the whole complete active sex, actually releases the same neurotransmitters, the same chemicals in your brain that drugs like heroin imitate. Seriously, people that are shooting up are using it as a substitute for the, what, what God designed us to produce uh, uh, healthily in a loving relationship. But apart from the intended covenant relationship of marriage, it actually becomes destructive. You know, or abused, it becomes destructive. Uh, destructive. But used in it the way God created it, it is one of the most powerful uh, ways that we can experience joy because it's meant to be experienced in, in intimate relationship. People! Well, I thought joy is found through relationship with people. Yes, absolutely. But you can use people. Uh, when people are used rather than respected, they become substitutes for joy. And we call this codependency. Right? That's where you, manipulation, <clears throat> manipulating others to get what you want, either by using them to meet our desires or for being seen as the helper or caregiver, even though it's destructive. So both the people in a codependent relationship are actually getting something 
the manipulator is getting what they want, and the one being manipulated is getting the sense that they're important, they're needed. But it's destructive, and so that makes it a codependent relationship, and it's, and it, it's not healthy. And you uh, 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 enable, that's the word, you're enabler, people to continue in destructive behavior like alcoholism or abuse or whatever it may be. Healthy relationships, on the other hand, accept weakness and honor strength, but do not have manipulation or control. And those healthy relationships bring the capacity to experience this relational joy that we're called to. The final one is substances, and that's any substance used as an unhealthy substitute for relational joy. And the biggest one is food. How many like food? How many love food? <clears throat> How many want food soon? <laughs> uh, so God actually designed our physiological, our bodies, to attach to the people that feed us. In fact, my grandson, Orson, uh, who's eight months old, he attaches to my daughter, Emily, frequently to be fed. To me, I'm a guy, it's like weird. <laughs> right? But that's how we're designed. Like, we get food from our mother, and they know. It's like instinctive. <laughs> God developed us that way. Why? To teach us from birth that it's through intimate connection with someone that we get natural food. Why is that important? Why is that such an important lesson? Because that is the source of all of the nourishment that we need throughout life, not just natural food, but the nourishment of joy, the nourishment of love, the nourishment of acceptance, the nourishment of honor, the nourishment of value, all of the important things in life we are to get by connecting intimately with one another. And so your brains are taught from birth that um, uh, uh, through all of the senses that this is where you get what you need. But if that relationship, that emotional bond between the, the one who's feeding you is broken, uh, um, or the oh, with the feeder, if it's not strong or broken, it's really easy then to switch and use food as a substitute instead of the relationship that that food was intended to bring you into. That's why family meals together, sitting down at a table and eating together, it just creates an emotional bond. Why? Because we were built that way. We were supposed to do it in relationship. Food is an incredible gift. Finding comfort in food is actually appropriate. It's okay. Comfort food is real. All right? uh, but it's destructive if it's a substitute for the real joy the relational joy that we absolutely need. Drugs and alcohol, obviously, is a substance that's a, that's a pseudo-joy, especially dangerous because they artificially stimulate the same neurochemistry that joy does naturally, and they cause a false sense, a fake sense of well-being. Things can be horrible. Drink enough, you know, smoke well, everything feels good. People around you that sober are like, it ain't good. Feels good. Removes inhibition. And that, that leads to addiction. So you never deal with the problems. 
because you hide in the substance, you know, and that causes actually the problems to get worse. Whenever pseudo-joy connections exceed the strength, uh, so, if it, it, you know, again, all of the things are good, but if they ex- exceed the strength of our joyful relationship, joyful connections with God and others, we develop an unhealthy attachment to the beeps. All right, there's a handout that uh, she's going to hand out, and you can also download it at bit.ly slash pseudojoy. Um, uh, and it will help you. There's some questions that you can rank yourself uh, to see where you're at um, in the area of relying on pseudojoy or genuine joy. I get some feedback after doing this at the other churches that uh, some people were like, that's my whole life. Like it was a really intense message for some people because they realized they don't even have any genuine joy. They've just lived on substitutes their whole life. And so if that's you, don't, don't feel bad. You're just normal. Okay? And all of us have used this in some way. On the back side of the sheet are some questions to help you uh, have a conversation with God and prayerfully find ways to overcome dependency on false joy and discover uh, uh, ways that can foster healing and ways to process um, uh, uh, those negative emotions and find genuine joy. And ultimately, we want to do that in safe relationships, and we want to be the safe one for someone else. We want to get healed up. Why? So we can have more joy, but also so we can be... Uh, the source for genuine joy for someone else.